he's a lunatic hysteric. So his way of trying to seduce women is basically to keep on trying to commit suicide in front of them. Right, well, welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. This is Will, your host. I hope you've been well. I have been, I don't know what you'd call it really, well, up and down. I, It's the sleep deprivation factor uh, uh, that's destroying me slowly. The funny thing with sleep deprivation is that it's, uh, I'm not protecting any secrets. I'm not a government agent. I'm not trying to protect my country. What I'm getting at is if I have torture put upon me, I, I get nothing from it. You know, I get no medals or, or what have you or monetary compensation. At this, at this stage in my life, all I'm getting is brain cells diminishing, like just one at a time. So thanks, Pearl. Thank you. Uh, I don't know what don't know what to say. I don't know what else to say. But um, I suppose what is funny is that I didn't put a podcast out on Wednesday uh, because of that, and I don't feel bad about it. I think we had this run a little while ago where I wasn't putting podcasts out very regularly, and I, I guess the professional podcasters out there would probably turn in their um, I don't know grades, uh, whatever. And I. I just think sometimes, guys, if, if there's not a podcast out, you know, on the, on a Wednesday or a Sunday, just don't worry about it. I mean, there are 0.5 billion podcasts out there uh, to to fill your boots on, so don't worry about it. Just move on. Uh, yeah. So this week, God, geez, this is um this is one of my favourites. He's been on the show before, Ian Dunt. We talked more about his life, his journey. Um, on that occasion. This time we're talking solely about his book, How to Be a Liberal, which is available now. How to Be a Liberal, that is available now. And it is so, so damn good. For me, I'll just speak personally about what it did for me. Uh, It opened up my eyes to a lot of philosophers that I was aware of, but hadn't delved into enough. So, and he breaks down the historical impact that those people have had on society. And in, in many cases, he makes them into sort of 360 degree human beings. So I think a lot of the time we think of uh, philosophers as these, you know, I don't know what you'd call them. Well, hyper intelligent, wonderful geniuses, blah, blah, blah. Of, of course, goes without saying. Uh, well, the good ones, that is, you know, like Mill or what have you, uh, you know. Um, and he breaks them down into a way that you can understand them and gives them heart and soul because so much of the time we do tend to put them on these massive uh, pedestals and sometimes perhaps that's you know perhaps that's a good thing I'm trying to think of a really great philosopher off the top of my head um francis rossi from status quo uh, no, actually rick parfit actually uh, from status quo is a great philosopher because he said um easy it's easy when you're number one everybody says you're having fun smiling from the public eye when your buddies say you want to die, living on an island, living on an island. I think I, I think it's less philo- philosophical, but it's still, it, it's great. I mean, it, it, it does everything you need to do in life. And, and he is a well-known philosopher. Dead, dead, but still nonetheless a philosopher. Anyway, 
Ian's, you're going to love this. He's such a great guy. He really is. He's so he's so warm and loving and uh, t- towards whoever he speaks to. So yes, do check that book out. How to be a liberal. Um, it's 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 good for everyone. Seriously, it's really good. Oh dear. Anyway, look, guys, I'm just going to leave it now. I'm going to just remind you that there are the podcasts. When this when podcast episodes, when this show used to be political. And, and if that is your want, if, if politics is your thing, I have about 50 or 60 political conversations with people like Michael Heseltine, Ken Clark, Nick Clegg, uh, Anna Suber, if you can remember her, Clive Lewis. The list goes on and on. Gina Miller. All these lovely people, they're available. They're just, all you got to do is just scroll, scroll down a bit on your feed, uh, your podcast feed, and you'll find them. Uh, and uh, do check them out. I, I hope you do. I put an awful lot of effort into getting those interviews. That, that's when I used to go to fucking, what's it called? Um, Portcullis House, just across from the Thames, from the House of Parliament. I used to go to, to them all the time to interview these people. I take out huge chunks of my day. Nowadays, I'm just doing Zoom, which is hilarious. It seems like a real cheat, but it's a wonderful cheat, let me tell you. Anyway, guys, um, yeah, stay safe. Look after yourselves. If you do feel like uh, any form of communication is on you know, the agenda, then please feel free to reach out to Limehouse, oh, at Limehouse Pod on Twitter, at Limehouse Pod. And of course, we are on Instagram. That's just the Limehouse Podcast on Instagram. Anyway, look, enjoy this chat. Ian gives it his very best. The best of Ian Dunt. Okay, look after yourselves. Bye bye. Sorry, yes, hello. Wow, hello, Dunstable. How's it going? Oh, yeah, not bad, not bad. So how's life? Have you have you had dinner? You're on the stair. Uh, I don't think I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm glad, wow. I'm glad, yeah, you, you're observant. I was chatting to a guy last night and um, I think he was either being really polite or just didn't give a fuck about me. Um, but I was like... Often I was telling the difference between those two things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like... I uh, felt like I felt a bit ashamed, but I've, I've got a memory foam pillow under my ass. So who's laughing? Exactly, exactly. Exactly. Um, what you? Okay, yeah. I mean, why, why are you on the stage? Basically, my my wife's down there uh, with the baby. That God, that looks like a bit like a dungeon, doesn't it? I mean, um, on the webcam, it looks like a haunted house. I imagine it looks nicer in human eyes. Got a peloton there. No, oh, wow, yeah, very nice. Good little setup you've got there. Sophisticated mush. Um, why, why am I up here, Ian? I'll tell you why. Uh, because um, Laura is downstairs with baby Pearl, with Pearl, Pearl, and um, that she's just trying to get her to bed, and it's just, you know, get the fuck up the stairs and do your stupid podcast, basically. Fair enough. I mean, yeah. that doesn't seem like the right attitude, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like she's doing more important things, so, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like you just took like well, it sounds like I know you didn't, but it sounds like you just took a massive toke on a spliff. <laughs> I did not. I did not do that. Those days are long gone. Those days are gone. There was even, your, I, I did once, sorry, like on. once when I was a stoner. I I knew I had to do a Radio Five thing uh, on like a Sunday afternoon, and I was like, oh fuck it, I'll just get stoned, and and I'll I'll be recovered by the time I do the radio. And it turned out <laughs> I wasn't recovered. And I heard it back afterwards, and it was I, my voice just sounded so dead. I was like, and that's why Labour has. Bur-. Afterwards, I was just like, I will never ever do that again. Like that will never yeah. happen. 
Matt, it's like it's like trying to do a gig pissed. Like you know, you're doing the whole rock and roll thing. I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna do it drunk, mate. I'm just gonna get yeah. smashed. And it's actually terrifying because the people are watching you. You you're really pumped in your head, but your body is completely. It's like so. Like, you know that thing. Um, have you watched? Uh, oh my god! Come on, Will. Um, Almost famous. Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, oh, fear and loathing. Yeah, 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 and then he's like, "There's nothing more depraved than a man in the midst of a ether binge," and it's like, you know, your, your mind's fine, but your body just can't do it. It's like that, <laughs> without you know, without so much terror, I suppose. Um, but yeah, dude, your your book, fucking hell, wow! Oh man, I mean, thanks. I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Oh god, I mean, I was kind of pulling your leg with the whole um, banking thing. Like, um, cause I didn't, I didn't quite, I, I don't think anybody, what I can get my, my, my head around the basics of the 2008 crash and, and what have you, because I've watched the big short a few times and because I lived through it, but, um, but it's just, uh, you know, the kind of, not the semantics, but the, I don't know, the mathematical, the scientific, cause it's, it's economically scientific, isn't it? So it's quite, um, mm-hmm. so it's quite, but yeah, everything else, mate. Fucking hell, you know. In fact, I've re- I've read uh, some chapters twice because they were that good. So, um, oh, so like how long how long did it take to to? I mean, well, how how long did the first draft take? It doesn't really. I can't because I started looking at it like chapters. It wasn't like there was just one first draft and then another. Basically, the book took the book took two years. Yeah, um, I bet. And I don't. Yeah, I mean, I suppose if I didn't have to work the rest of the time, like if I wasn't a journalist the rest of the time or whatever, I don't think it would have been cut down that. No, probably I could have done it in a year. Wow, really? Well, I suppose, well, I think so, right? If you've got all day to work on this stuff rather than just the evenings and the weekends. I mean, that's the yeah. hard bit to, to tell. There's a big difference between people who like have a job and write books and people who just write books. You know, the time is kind of is really different. Okay, then, yeah. You know, I mean, you're kind of more advantaged if you've got a job the rest of the time because you've at least you've got multiple sources of income, which when your True. job as a writer is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, but the the depth of the research is, I mean, one question that immediately sprung to mind when I first started, maybe like halfway through chapter one, I was like, the research must have been pretty extensive. And was it, did it ever bog you down or was it a constant learning curve? Was there a lot of stuff that you already knew and it was just about like compartmentalizing it or was it, yeah, just like every day was a new one? No, it was, the research was fucking brutal and, and really it was, it was dreadful. I hated every second of that. I, I never, I don't really want to write another book like this again. Because it is just very, it's very demanding in like a couple of ways. The first way is like, you can, if you have a book like this, you you chain, you have to start again from ground zero every chapter and sometimes multiple times within a chapter, right? So after you've just become like a passable, have a, a passable level of expertise at like the American Revolution, you then start at ground zero on the French Revolution. It's just, it's really quite taxing. Yeah, um, I bet. And then... There's also, I really, really dislike the bit in between the research and the writing. So the, the reading mm. bit is reading, right? So it's not it's not that bad. It's sort of doable. And the writing bit is writing. The bit of getting all your research into a state where it can inform the writing is essentially like an administrative exercise of going through everything you've noted down, going through everything you've highlighted and trying to allocate mm. it, think how you're going to approach it. And that part is, 
unbelievably tedious and takes fucking ages. It doesn't sound like much to say it, but it takes so long. Yeah. I couldn't stand that part. I mean, I was at the point where I was doing the whole like, like GCSE level, you know, work for 20 minutes, give yourself 10 minutes of playing a game on your phone. I mean, it was yes. bad. Yeah. Really fucking bad. Oh God. I mean, I definitely, that's kind of one of the, the, the first question that came to mind because it felt like it, it would have been hard work. Oh, like genuinely, this is a job. <laughs> and this is, the, it, it sounds, oh, I'm, I'm writing a book. Uh, it's like, yeah, okay. It sounds nice. I'm writing a book, but really if you're, doing the kind of book you're writing it's more like i'm writing a book <laughs> god so who the fuck told me to do this and actually who who did tell you to do it and if it's you then you, you said a masochistic said what a masochistic i don't know whatever the fuck but like <laughs> was it someone like naomi naomi's was like you got to do it in or was someone like a, your someone came up with the idea a publisher or something yeah my publisher came up with the with the title um and the title I thought was really helpful because it sort of got all of the ideas that were in my head and slotted them into place so I knew how I wanted to proceed. But he didn't tell me what to, how to approach it. And I think he was kind of imagining a, I don't know, you know, he, he, I think he came up with it during um, the debate over Tim Farron and the gay sex stuff. Do you remember that? Oh, God, yeah, mate. I was, I was knee deep, balls deep in the Lib Dems at the time. <laughs> so since... So yeah, it might be a traumatic memory for you, right? Right, yeah. One of the reasons why I left, I think. Was it really? Yeah, yeah many, yeah. But mm -hmm. anyway. Um, it, so it, I think I wrote a piece about, um, you know, that there's a, lib, you know, in terms of liberal values, it doesn't really matter what he happens to think about gay relationships. What matters is, what's his, what's his voting record? Basically, it, it like on a liberal yeah. basis, it really does fucking matter if you voted in any way to restrict other people's freedoms. But the content of your own conscience and, and all of that, and that's your own business, it doesn't matter. And that actually it could be kind of supremely liberal. And it is. And in fact, John Stuart Mill and Harriet Taylor talk about this quite a bit to, you know, feel very opposed to something. In their case, it was um, uh, uh, polygamy uh, in Mormon communities um, yeah. and still say, well, you've got a right to do it if, if that's what you want to do. And I did that piece, and, I, and he read that, and I think that's when he did, that's when he came up with the title. And I think his idea was that it would be a bunch of things like that. It would be quite, mo you know, modern and very, but I, I kind of have an issue where I can't really, um, I just can't fucking stop myself. So it just like, once you start, you know, you look at a thing and you know, well, what, what's the origin of that part? And then, and eventually, if you keep on asking yourself that question, you end up researching fucking Descartes, you know, at three in well, the morning. They but that, yeah, there you go. Like that, that's the whole nature of your book. The whole nature is of these people asking themselves questions that leads down to this, especially with Descartes, it was nearly insanity, right? It's a, well, he did fucking lost his shit and, and, and what have you. Um, and, that, and that's where you find yourself. By the way, the name of this book is called How to Be a Liberal, just so anyone doesn't know that, but they would have known that because of the preamble I would have probably said about 15 times. But, but, um, uh, yeah, so you went nearly batshit crazy recent, but it, in a way, is it kind of a, like um, a reward? Was it rewarding because a necessary reward or a necessity that brought about reward, the research? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all research does, right? Like once you've done it, you're much better at knowing how the world works, where these instincts in your own head come from, like you're you know, you, if you have a kind of liberal instinct, it, you're not always clear what, 
how to disentangle these ideas and where they contradict each other and where they come from. So it's better for that, although in a limited way, right? Because, I mean, I frequently have to pick up my first book to to remember the stuff I wrote in it when I'm trying to draw on it. So it's not like, you know, you you. I always have this thing when I'm walking around a bookshop, I'm like, oh, if I read this book, you know, on, uh, I don't know, on, you know, the, uh, why the fuck can I remember that word? On the Crusades. <laughs> if I read this okay, book yeah. on the Crusades, then I'll know everything about the Crusades and I'll be done. But in truth, yeah. you don't. Know, you know everything about the Crusades for like a week at most, and then you forget pretty much everything. Maybe one or two facts will stay in your mind. And yeah. you know, it's actually not that different for the writer. Like I find pretty quickly that stuff just starts slipping away and you have to check your own book for to remind yourself of what you supposedly already know. Yeah. So there is a weakness there, but you do get that. I think you also become better at learning you know which is this which is a process that we think that we teach people in school but in fact it's kind of like you have to keep on training it right and like mm. actually just be able to take in information to to decide what's important to find the links between things to keep on having the confidence to say that you don't know things especially when you're talking to experts you know knowing when is the right time to talk to an expert because it shouldn't be at the beginning you need to know quite a lot of things before you start trying to use up their time but then once okay. you do go into that conversation, you need to have the humility and the confidence to be able to say, well, I just don't, I don't really understand what you've just said and keep on asking it. So it, you also get the benefit of that, of remembering how to learn, of being good at learning. So there's that. So look, it is satisfying in the end, but, but you know, it's like in that entertainment podcast, there's an awful lot of Shawshank before you get the redemption and there's an awful lot of fucking <laughs> research before you get the satisfaction in a book like this. Right, yeah, yeah. Mark Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um it's it's do you know what it's so true? Because I think an awful lot of when this podcast used to be extremely political, um, a lot of my uh it did come uh, I found myself going, Look, dude, you just gotta stop pretending like you know shit and just start <laughs> saying, I don't know, help me <laughs> You know, yeah. because it's you just you're just gonna you could be you get so freaking nervous in your head and and also it's part of really learning but just to turn it back to the to the book the i think the one thing that really helped me was the emotional what really happened what i think that i think it's chapter five where uh, the um harriet and john harriet and john uh chapter john yeah john stuart mill and um, harriet uh, taylor and that was a really well balanced because you had the story and the essence of their their political struggle or their path um, and, and what have you. And and that that really, that worked for me. Like, I think that for me was the, that's something to hang my hat on and like really get, get stuck into the living room of this book, you know, light the fire, mm -hmm. get the whiskey on the go and really get into it because there was a character that I really wanted to know something about. And I just, oh yeah, fucking John Stuart Mill. I don't know shit about him, but I've heard loads, <laughs> which is pathetic. Because I used to do a political podcast. That's what you're talking about here. Um, but I didn't know shit about Harriet Taylor. So you, you, did you fall in love with their story a bit? Because it does come across like you did. Yeah, oh, I definitely did. I definitely did. Um, and I don't know how anyone can resist falling in love with them. Because I just... The, it, it's the integrity that, that gets me. And, and it's integrity in such a weird circumstance, right? Like, you know, she's married to someone... Everyone is, and they have kids, someone else, in other words, they have kids. Everyone is very clear that this man 
is not a bastard. Like he's he's a really nice guy. You know, Carlisle calls him an innocent, dull, good man, which is yeah. like I've said before. It's just like no no man wants to be talked about in those ways. But no, nevertheless, it's like yeah. guy. It's not like you know. There's nothing wrong. And and yet they proceed, and they're clearly in love with each other, John Stuart Mill and Harriet Taylor. And yet they proceed. They create an extraordinary arrangement, which is basically this sort of three person marriage in the middle of the Victorian era, where the normal husband is a sort of symbolic front of the marriage, the social aspect of the marriage, the brand. Yeah. And the intimacy of the marriage is, you know, John Stuart Mill and Harriet Taylor, which is a weird arrangement even now. Um, but the manner in which they conduct themselves going into that and through it, and that situation lasts for years. I mean, that's basically the majority of their relationship, of their romance takes place within that context is still full of integrity and full of people trying to do the right thing and people trying to be honorable about stuff. Yeah. He's so like John Stuart Mill was so broken, you know, like he is, he, I mean, he, there's no other word to use. I mean, he is the subject of protracted, severe child abuse. You know, that's, yeah. that's what he is. I mean, he was raised as a machine, you know, to be like the ultimate thinking being and that thanks dad. I, yeah, cheers, Dad. Yeah, he yeah. probably wasn't that grateful when he had a nervous breakdown <laughs> at the age of twenty, in a way that anyone could yeah. have predicted. When I mean, know, it's, it's all right if you, if your dad's Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, it's fine, right? But your dad's, you know. indeed, indeed. I mean, I can't. It, the weird moral conundrum about all that. I think what did Isaiah Berlin? I think Isaiah Berlin called it a terrible success or something like that. Yeah, and that kind of the right way of looking at it because the truth is it fucking worked they turned him into one of the greatest thinkers in the history of humankind and without yeah. him you know we wouldn't have so much of what we enjoy right now about the most radical liberating system of thought hmm. in the history of our species but the price for that was this absolute bludgeoning of his emotional and social capacity yeah. And so then when he meets Harriet Taylor, he suddenly just finds this place that he can just unpour, you know, that he can actually be a human with, that he can be vulnerable with, that he can express feelings to. And he has that for as long as she lives, which isn't anywhere near as long as him. And I think it's impossible to look at that story of this man who is just this machine gun fire of remorseless logic in any of his writings. It's the most extraordinary compelling argumentative style find someone that he can express feelings for and fight for her and then also lose her and it's quite hard to read that story and not feel tremendously warmly towards the, the two of them yeah it's hard it's, it's heartbreaking i mean you know he nearly took his own life for what when he was 20 and and you just you just think to to get that and naming a date giving himself a year right and <clears> seeing <throat> if, if this shit doesn't turn around that's it and um that's a story that transcends time and went on to basically be the architect of modern <laughs> modern liberalism, which is pretty something. Pretty that's a hell of a story. You know, whichever way you cut it, that is an amazing fucking story. <laughs> and I, and and oh god, half of me was like, has there been a film written about this guy? I mean. The, it's kind of tragic shit. how few films there are about any of these guys, really. Like, we've been trying to, um, me and Mrs. have been going through, like, trying to find stuff on them, and there's so few that pop up anywhere. I mean, Orwell pops up in a couple of movies as a side character. Yeah. 
There's nothing on Berlin. There's nothing weirdly. I know this sounds like no one would want to see it, but to me, like Hayek versus um, Keynes is a perfect fucking film, you know, in a certain style, like a period piece, you know, whatever. Right. It would be a great film, but just no one goes near it. There's there's one on Descartes, which is this 1970s Italian film, which yeah. is about three and a half hours long, which I'm not going to lie. It's it's grueling. It's a it's a tough yeah. watch. But it's commendably authentic in its portrayal, i.e. Yeah. it portrays him as a complete bastard, which, frankly, you know, he was. Yeah. Um, but there's very few movies of any of these guys, and pretty much all of them deserve movies. I mean, probably no no one more so than Constant, uh, Benjamin Constant, who really was a f- absolute fucking maniac. He deserves films, <laughs> but again, there's nothing for him either. Can you talk a bit about Constant, then? Because that, that, be that would be quite a nice little detour. Yeah, he's an oddball. He's a, he's a really odd bloke. It's the Napoleonic era France. Um, and he's probably, I mean, he is, he's the start of modern liberalism. And, and his work is then taken by Mill and by Harriet Taylor and, and finessed, because it's still quite crude at that point. But he's the first guy really to talk about the notion of the individual as a political unit. Um, yeah. And the work is incredibly mature, incredibly reflective, light years um, ahead of anything else really being being written during his p- precise lifespan. Um, his life itself, though, his personal life, is just a fucking shambles like you would not believe. And it's impossible to, as you, re- I mean, I've obviously read like a lot of biographies of him now. They're mostly quite old. He's mostly forgotten in our time. But um, in every one of them, you're just like, Benjamin, just stop it. <laughs> You are, what are you doing? How can you do this? It's he, he just doesn't seem to have any self-control at all and doesn't have any consistency. So, I mean, basically, he he he's, he just will not talk to a woman without trying to seduce her. And it just doesn't matter if the husband is right next to her, if the husband's around. Dear so God. he has to run away from all these relationships. And, and he, it's not like he's this sort of cool, aloof James Bond seducer. He's just a sort of hysteric he's a lunatic hysteric so his way of trying to seduce women is basically to keep on trying to commit suicide in front of them unless they will give in to his advances which which yeah he does it a lot it, he does i it know the way once. you write about it the way it's, it's there's comedic element in there some of you your personality is um because I, I i read half the book physical hardback copy and mm. um that your publisher sent me your publicist sent, sent me in literally half a day which was weird and amazing oh, wow. um and then but then i realized i'm not gonna be able to read all this i'm gonna have to audiobook it so i audiobooked it which was you and i thought it'd be like you being like this a bit bantery you know and it was like <laughs> fucking dark but not dark just <laughs> This is Ian Dunn, like you've never heard Ian Dunn before. It's like Ian Dunn does Darth Vader, and uh... no, no, wait, well, hold on a minute. That, I'll tell you what that is. That's not like an attempt for me to do it. That's the if you spend five days just yeah. reading words like straight out, your fucking voice it cannot take it. Like yeah. it really just gives in, and so you're spending. I'm not gonna, you know. I hope that I did a good job reading it, but a lot of your yeah, you mind. Did. Thank you, thank you. But like a good percentage of your mind is mostly just thinking, how long will my voice maintain? Like, you know, yeah. what? when is it going to give in? Because it's just, it's, it's quite an odd physical task to have to spend five days reading a book. It's, and it's I, crazy. I didn't a guy like, a, a, a guy, Guy Pratt, uh, uh, a session musician, bass player who's on this podcast, he said, hmm. I, lo- I really liked his audio, audio book. Um, and I said, oh, you must have loved doing it. You sound like you had great fun. He said he absolutely hated it. 
which was a bit heartbreaking. But um, no, back back to constant. Um, no, yeah, I, <laughs> I did. Yeah, it was like there's so much. Uh, I think there is like a personality. What I love about the people that you have highlighted, which I, I suppose in a way you kind of have to, but um, they're kind of hard to avoid. But the the stories there, you know, of duels, like having a duel with, uh, um, uh, you know, the husband and and just mm. win a woman's affection. It's hilarious. But it's also like, yeah, like you said, like forming this crude sort of but fantastic sort of brand of liberalism, you know, a bit of thought. And it's just, you know, I didn't know any of this. It's it's great. And it's really good. You know, it, it's not patronising either. It's a good, really good entry. I mean, I don't say entry level, but I suppose it... Um, no, that's, me, what it, that's what it's meant to be. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's yeah, meant to be. Which is great. And I absolutely, I loved it. And like like you said, when you said earlier, you know, some of the stuff that you, even you, you know, goes in, not one ear out the other straight away, but there's only so much your brain can retain. And, um, but I, I really, you know, I retain quite a bit. I'm, pro- I'm quite impressed, especially the, um, if we pivot back to more, because I want to try and cover as many of these motherfuckers as possible. I have to apologise to my sister now for swearing. She says I swear too much in this podcast, which is pretty much like the perfect storm, you and me together. That's great, yeah. But also, you've already sworn, I think, at least five or six times. So I like the way that you got halfway through before you're like, oh, I should probably apologise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all you. It's your fault. Um, (laughs) The the levellers, man. Good Lord. That... That is just again. Where's the movie? Where's the? Why hasn't that been made? Yeah, yeah. What a story there! Like, did you enjoy going back to the? Was it? Is it Cromwell? Is it sort of the fifteenth? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the English Civil War. Yeah, yeah, no, sixteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah, mid okay, mid sixteen hundreds, the sixteen forties, mostly in the thirties. Um, and I agree. Like, it's not just the films, right? It's like, why isn't that more a part of English history that we talk about? Like, right? Why would we ever talk? I mean, I, I find Henry VIII kind of interesting, but there's no way anyone can tell me that that's more interesting than stuff going on in the English Civil War. The more you read about the English Civil War, you're just like, how on earth is this not something that we discuss more often? It's this in, uh, way before its time. I mean, we're talking like over 150 years before the French Revolution. And really, this is the establishment of those ideas. And that happens in England. And in England, we hardly ever talk about it, which is a mm. constant source of bafflement to me. And really, that's the start of ideas like individual liberty, of ideas like actual democracy, where the initial skirmishes and liberalism of what do you do about wealth? Like, if we really say that everyone is free, that the individual freedom is what matters, does that mean that one person gets to keep all their stuff? Or does that mean that we get to interfere with that person's stuff in order to make sure that more people have more opportunities and more freedom? It's really core. I mean, that's the stuff that we still talk about today. You know, you will never go through a day on politics without having that discussion come up. And that starts right there. And not only does it start there, but we've got the fucking transcripts. We have literally the transcripts of the debate where they first were having these issues in the middle of a revolution, in the middle of a civil war, in a mutiny against their officers, fighting against their own parliament and their own king. Like, you, you couldn't ask for more dramatic circumstances to come up with this stuff. So honestly writing it you don't need to you don't need to exaggerate and you don't need to 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 sort of put any poetry in it if you just say what is happening it is the most exciting war revolution story for which to frame this origin of this political philosophy it's really quite extraordinary and it's a constant source of bafflement to me that we just don't talk about it more than we do well yeah and especially with the the 
the what they what they used to call this the pamphlets the bullets right um the paper bullets bullets that they were just handing out amongst londoners and what have you to basically just inform people about their own rights and what's going on in the news is form of twitter right i just think it's that is fascinating to me like and and, did you live in london sorry yeah yeah sydenham yeah yeah, it's, it's like an amazing, I love thinking about London in that era, right? Because, I mean, the part of London that they're talking about, you know, basically around St. Paul's, is now just this, I mean, pretty god-awful concrete and steel, you know, city, corporate area. Then yeah. it's just dingy alleyways where the black market press operated. So you're just smuggling in black market printers, black market ma- printing machines, I'm churning out this stuff and the stories. I mean, I had to edit out a lot of it because because I got kind of obsessed with this whole period. <laughs> and so eventually you're like, well, I've just written 40 pages of stuff around the black market printing press of the 1600s. And that's not strictly what this book is about. But Brilliant. The, well, there's a lot of stuff around the, the type, right? Because most of the sort of, you know, the, the stuff they could use for parchment for ink, they could kind of get away with if they were caught by the authorities. What they couldn't get away with was the actual type, these metal letters that they would have to bundle around. And if you were caught with those, you were fucked. Like they were going to, what, you know, brand you or chop off your ears or they were going to throw you in jail basically for the rest of your life. But just just to put this into context, just um, this is basically anti-royalist um, uh, propaganda, is it? And anti-Catholic propaganda in this yeah. weird... It's just Charles I who was practicing this kind of form of high Anglicanism. Uh, and the enforcer is really Archbishop Lord. And it's this sort of, it's, it, you know, Star these James. guys, Charles I, Charles II, and obviously James I, they were basically Catholics. I mean, it wasn't, the, the, you know, the Protestants weren't being paranoid when they were like, these guys are Catholics. Like, they, they, they pretty much were. Um, yeah. And especially in the case of Charles II. Uh, so really they were practicing a form of Protestantism that was aimed towards Catholicism. And Catholicism at that point is obviously like an enemy military power essentially, Mm. Um, and much more restrictive than some of the more radical Protestant sects, which were talking about religion as a personal relationship with God. And what that did really was allow an early form of liberalism to flourish, because if your relationship with God is personal, if we don't have the spiritual apparatus in order to know how to worship God, then it follows that each person must be free to find their own way of worshiping God. And once you have that thought, you're really only a couple of steps away from thinking every person must be free to come up with their own political ideas, with their own mm. political reading, with their own political writing. And that's that very early kind of prototype liberalism, this embryonic liberalism that gets birthed at that point. Like the individual. Yeah, and fundamentally, <clears throat> always around the individual. That's the unit. Mm. That's the one thing that traces this story across these different countries, different people, different historical moments. But from the financial crash... All the way back, you know, from and the fights against Donald Trump right now, all the way back to Descartes and the English Civil War, that's the unit. That's the thing that separates this kind of thought from the other kind of thought that is constantly trying to extinguish it in various forms, whether it's fascism or communism mm. or the nationalism that we see today or the church. Yeah, I mean, that's that's um, I'm not I won't give away the exact ending of the book, but you do focus that the, the last the last chapter Dude, so, so good. You just, I don't know how long it took you to focus on drilling down into exactly what message you wanted to to do, but it did ring, it had a little bit of the, um, 
Last time you were on this podcast, we spoke about the night after the uh, the, the day, the, the evening of the election result with Johnson got in and, and Naomi and, and yours reaction. And mm-hmm. it had in your last part of the book, the last chapter, there's definitely that sort of essence to it. You know, the we've you know, we've got to organize and hunker down. And, and if we're going to change, you know, if we're going to be proper liberals, we've got to learn how to change. We want to want to affect change. We can't just sit. We've got to do shit. And mm. that 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 really comes through. Also comes through because it's every nearly everyone you've spoken about, you know, previously has had to had to do that. Look at you know the levelers as people that had their freaking ears chopped off, their tongues cut out. Um, there are thousands upon thousands of people that have gone before you and and us to to be where we are now in a in a reasonably well very free highly functional democratic society as much as we kind of think we're not but we kind of are um (laughs) the struggle thing is real right like i mean that's the that's the part that it 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 sort of seems to it just comes up again and again in that story and you know when you really note it when you're reading about stuff 400 years ago 300 years ago that every time you get complacent and you think the battle's over, it's it's better. And you know how this gets expressed? People never say, oh, I've become complacent and the battle's over and I can sit on my ass now. What they always say is the wind of history blows in our direction, which is essentially their way of, it's almost like a kind of Marxist idea of like, you know, there's just a set pathway. And you think there fucking isn't, like there really is no pathway to history. There's no necessary way that it's going to end up it works the way it works because a bunch of people had commitment and they had belief in their convictions and they fought for them. And the moment, the moment that we started getting our asses handed to us was not fucking 2016 and the Brexit vote or Trump. It was the moment that we stopped really arguing for our principles and just thinking that history would remorselessly play our way in. It doesn't. It doesn't do anything that you don't make it do. So really, yeah, that last part of the book is just, it's up to you. You know, given yeah. when people sort of go, does the book have a happy ending? Which is kind of a weird thing to ask someone, right? That is like, a very strange thing to ask. It's quite yeah. odd how often it gets asked. And it's just like, well, the ending is up to you. You know, like, I mean, that's the, the ending is whatever the fuck we do now, what mm. we do next. And at the moment, like, I look around me and I, I feel more hope and more optimism than I have really for the last four or five years mm. about seeing that people are committed to these ideals and that they can be beaten. You know, like right now, we're talking in a way that I wasn't before I wrote the book, in the wake of Trump being defeated. And there's and whatever else you take from it, whichever way, other way we want to look at it, they can be beaten. Like we can take these guys down and we can make sure that liberalism is triumphant again. It's right there for the taking. You just got to fucking do it. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Maybe we should touch on Trump in a bit. Um, maybe. Of course, we're going to freaking touch on Trump. <laughs> Jeez, like the elephant in the room, isn't it? Um no, it's um, what the other thing that I really loved about this book was. Um, I think at the core of it was the the story for me that's really stuck the most was the yeah that again to go back to Harriet Taylor again, but the but your um, your willingness not willingness your natural kind of propensity to to fight or talk about the struggle within. Um, uh, what we would perceive now, sort of like feminist, um, really, um, fan, you know, fan, feminist organisations have changed the face of, of feminism, but were also made up of some pretty like right wing extreme views, but also, you know, that weren't, you know, in touch with any 
I mean, what we would call now standards kind of stuff. So, you know, had like, for, for example, in Mrs. America. Did you ever watch that with uh, Kate Blanchett? No, no, I got told to, you know, and I, for, I forgot yeah. to do it very dense but essentially the anti-women's lib they were made up of a lot of people and they got slandered for having a lot of kkk members and stuff like that um but yeah you know um but what i'm i think i'm waffling to my point is um taylor and how you will just so you really dig you dug deep on that one what was it what was it like and did you come what was your internal monologue like writing about a feminist in this day and age because if you get that wrong you will get torn apart yeah well i mean i'll get there's a certain amount of priced in on getting torn apart if you're like a liberal at the moment so you know right. you're, you're gonna get it anyway it doesn't matter what you it doesn't really matter what you do and, and that kind of liberates you to a certain extent um on both sides but your job is you know, the, the job is to try and think independently and according to the principles that you follow about these issues. And if you follow it and you get in trouble, at least you're still content with what you've done when you go to bed. You know, you're not questioning yourself. Yeah. And I think with most of these, like, I, the story is, uh, it is a, a male story overwhelmingly. And that really bothers me. And, and part of that, is just the chance of who wrote it but mostly it's not it's testament to how much women were silenced over history this is the mm. thing you get right like during writing about the levelers you see in the research these little snippets of women's voices you only get access to them when they're talking about the men so when the husbands like john Loban, one of the levelist leveler leaders um gets arrested his wife goes to parliament with petition she makes a speech and she's listened to and because it's in the context of about the husband, you get to hear her voice. And what you hear is this really sophisticated, like just as sophisticated as anything the male levelers are saying. It has to be couched either because she really believes it or because she thinks it's what she needs to do in order to be heard with her yeah. constantly saying, I am but a lowly woman and blah, blah, blah. But I still have these. Blah, blah, blah. But nevertheless, the content of it, in fact, so much so that there's a very famous line by Rainsborough later on the poorest he that is an England speech, which is really this moment of, of liberalism really starting to, to, to become uh, fully shaped. And that line, the, the, the structure of, of that speech, the first time that we find it, it's not exact, it goes through permutations and evolutions. But the first time we find it is in Lilburn's wife. And the thing is, the reason we don't know what they say is because there was silence, not just in their own day, but in history. You silence someone in the present, you silence them forever. You know, you take away the record. And th yeah. to a certain extent, that's true. 200 years later for Harriet Taylor, we've lost most of her writings. It's really hard that the stuff that we use is these little bits of scrap paper that she was writing, you know, when she was in a carriage or somewhere. You know, it's not like these weighty tomes that we see, these proper documents that we get from John Stuart Mill. So trying to find... Like, sorry. sorry, no, so go on, go on. Just trying to find women's voices when you're telling a story in history is really fucking hard. Because you yeah, and they they off. wrote together. They fucking wrote together. They, they, mm -hmm. Taylor and and Mill were like without the, that without that relationship, without that partnership, we would just wouldn't have what we have. It's 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 incredible, and the shit that she got. The the, the the you know the biographers down the line down the years that you were describing in, in your book about how she got pillory just destroyed torn apart like and mm. from all sections right male female left right center whatever it's bizarre the hatred is 
so noticeable you know and then you think but ultimately you know then you switch on twitter and you just think yeah i know this shit now i know what this is and it's so it tells you so much because there's no honestly you read about a life even if you are and plenty of mill scholars the majority i think i mean my my the way i've written about her in the book is not by any means the the consensus on mill most mill scholars will say that i'm vastly overestimating what her contribution I don't think that's true. I think if you look at what he himself fastidiously noted about where she did and didn't contribute and look at what they themselves said about their partnership, it's demonstrably the case that they were a joint intellectual endeavor in certain key works, which include on liberty, the key work, but also many of the others, the emancipation of women, subjugation of women. Um, Nevertheless, even though some scholars will just say you're overestimating it. What's really noticeable is just how much people fucking hate her. Like the mm. stuff that comes out, she's just, they can't find enough abuse and poison to throw at her. And there's just no reading of her life. Like, I mean, you, you, it's, it's like it's hearing aliens talks. You just think on what possible yeah. basis could anyone dislike this woman so much? Even if you don't rate, even if you didn't think she did make that big contribution, why would you, why so much hate? And then of it's course, be- you know, go online and you see the same fucking shit and you think oh right it's because it's because you hate women i understand that makes yeah. sense well you put you know you put your head up uh, you know you put your head above the parapet as a guy one that's one thing as a straight white bloke but like it's just, it's just insane and back then i can't even i can't even imagine what it would have been like and and what you do so well is you paint a really good uh, picture of, of the landscape um for femi- femininity then and uh the struggle of feminism so you know that you're putting into perspective what it was to be a woman at that time and all time not just that time but all time and and you do you know you it's it's cool for me because sometimes i'll press pause and i'll just take a moment then to think about that particular sentence you know because it does it, it bears reflection a lot of this book does bear reflection certainly you know some of the most poignant moments otherwise you do you just forget you're not forget but you know you do you don't put them into a strong enough context and you don't absorb it enough it's so important to do that it's not just to be flippantly reading something um like this um but yeah no and and i just i just love so much of that that the feminine as the feminine aspect of it um but it was the the other one that really interested me was the was it the um the Combahee uh, Collective. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. if I've got that right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, the, yeah, Combahee, yeah, yeah, Combahee, the black, uh, f- uh, the female, the black lesbian uh, movement, and mm-hmm. that was um, again what really fascinated me with that was how um, how ahead of its time it was, how vital, how important it was, how necessary it was, but again you know, a lot of it was kind of like a hypothesis within themselves, like constantly asking these questions and evolving the movement. Should we include um, gay men? Should we include white people? Whatever, you know, and that's what I quite like about uh, re- real true liberalism, right, is the the constant asking, uh, drilling down into into the soul and asking the questions that sound ooh, awkward, but they're absolutely vital, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that, I've got to say, like, aside from the financial crash, that the hardest, I would say there's three points that were really hard for me to research, that really took a lot of thought for me to be able to work it down. One of them is the French Revolution, which is insanely complicated. I mean, as a series of events, to be able to summarize it is very hard. Um, 
Then the financial crash, which is difficult to conceptualize and to explain. And then identity politics. We're really trying to think what what works here, what is morally important here, what is it contributing, but also what's wrong with it? And there is something terribly dangerous in identity politics. And, and it's first formulated in the Kumbahi River Collective, which are these guys who, you know, you, they were getting fucked over by everyone. You know, they were getting fucked over by men, they were getting fucked over by black liberation movements, they were getting fucked over by heterosexual people. You know, these are people who were just completely ignored, not just by the mainstream, but by the movements that were there in order to advance their interests. And so they came up with a politics that is born from identity. And from that comes many good, proud things. The same things that when we say patriotism can be a force for good, it is also the case that a marginalized identity can be a force for good. You can find things that are valuable in that, including your own sense of identity and your own sense of who you are. But also if we care about the individual, if the everything that the individual cares about is therefore important to us as liberals. And if and individuals demonstrably find meaning in their heritage, their race, their <laughs> country, of course they do. You see it wherever you look. There is a limit to that, though. And that's the old liberal limit of you cannot force others to be something like yourself. And that means that you cannot talk about identity groups like they're homogenous, like they're all as one. You cannot talk about them like they are fundamentally different to another group. So for instance, mm. that's what the current debate about cultural appropriation does. As we see extremely commonly, I mean, I was looking at a thread on Twitter this week of someone trying to close down a small business because it was white owned and selling Asian food. You sort of think, well, no, that you don't get to do that. You cannot close these units of identity off from one another as if we have no capacity for empathy, as if we have no mixture between us, as if we don't have the freedom to travel within identities, have multiple identities at the same time. And that liberal attitude towards identity politics is hard. I'm not going to lie about it. It's hard to work your way through it morally. Mm. Only by doing so can you come up with a clear impression of what is going on in this world right now and all yeah. the advantages we can get from it, but also the pitfalls and dangers that are present as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've done, you've, yeah, you rattled through that, mate. That's, you said you've done this before. <laughs> so. I thought, yeah, I, well, I don't know. That, that part's always dangerous. It's so about. good, though. It's great. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. But I mean, there's a lot that there's, you've, at the moment in the identity war that's going on around us at the moment, we've got, anyone that is thinking in the same way that I am about it has got very few mates around. You know, you've got, the sort of Douglas Murray, oh, isn't it all just fucking terrible and let's write the whole thing off and get... And then you've got yeah. the other side, which is ferocious online, which is any questioning of these identity groups of the existence um, is, A, you're not entitled to make it. Um, and some people say, oh, that's because you're a white man. In fact, that's false. The people that are mostly told that are people within those identity groups who question some of the politics of the leadership get shut down much more fiercely than white men ever do in any context. Yeah. Um, and so you really, it, there's very few people who are trying to think what works and what doesn't in what we're dealing with. And I kind of really hope that more people will find themselves in that category because you look at it, there are pitfalls and dangers, there's advantages, and we need people to keep a level head when they look and try to distinguish between those two things. Yeah, um, the JK Rowling thing. Um, yeah, it's a case in point. I mean, any yeah, of those de yeah. any of those debates, which is about do you have the right to debate, let alone on the content of the stuff itself? Um, all of that is really tough at the moment. It's really tough. And 
this is the thing that John Stuart Mill and Harry Taylor said, right? They said, we're going to lay out these principles for you on the harm principle and freedom of speech. And you're going to say, this is anyone would agree with this. Blah, blah, blah. And everyone always says they do agree with these ideas. But the moment that you actually try to fucking stand up for them, people will come at you with pitchforks and knives. They will come at you hard. They are the least, they're the most widely associated ideas and the least supported ideas. Because the moment you really stand up for freedom, the freedom to talk, the freedom to debate, people will come at you fucking hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's 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 the uh, the henpecking, you know. I I just, the, the is that what you mean to say? Because isn't that a gen- that's that's a highly gendered term? You're going to be in oh, trouble yourself now. No, you know what I meant. I I know what I meant. I think I meant like the chickens that see like a black spot on the other chicken, and all the chickens come in and go, you're different. Gonna kill, get the black spot off the chicken." And they, and that's kind of like what Twitter's like, or any, it's like, I don't know, it's like militant le- um, liberalism at times, it's extraordinary. I mean, you can't, no one can, I, find, I struggle with the whole identity politics as well, like, I don't, but I only struggle it from a perspective of, I'm an extreme, like, I don't give a shit, if you want to do what you want to do, what you fucking want to do, I mean, they're, I don't care. Like, I care about people's rights and their feelings and their emotions and their safety to the absolute max. But I don't give a fuck if someone wants to do whatever the hell they want to do. Like, call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. I don't... Why should we be interfering? But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's a an extreme viewpoint as well. Crikey. Um, one subject I think we have to talk about... Um, in the remaining time we have together, darling, um, would be Thatcher mm-hmm. um, and uh, Hayek. By the way, I because... love the way that with these questions, you haven't had any historical structure at all. You've just I know. absolutely just jumped. I, I really welcome that. It's so much nicer yeah. than being asked in the <laughs> <laughs> I was like, if I could try to, if I, I mean, it's been semi-linear. I don't know. I fucking hell. <laughs> it's because uh, if, I, like I said, if I try and approach this like some kind of Newsnight presenter, and just try and out and try and outsmart you and try and not sound like I know do you know what I mean try and not sound like an idiot it's just gonna sound I'm sound even more like an idiot um yeah um but the one thing that really really got me um really uh, highlighted so much of the tiny nuances of liberalism and 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 how one thing can be perceived as great but it's actually if you just take off that little layer it's terrible was the after the Brixton, Brixton riots and uh, Thatcher's government saying, "No, look, we're not gonna, we're not gonna these communities that have been, uh, I don't know, at war with us, we're not gonna, you know, tell them to go away. We want to talk to them, and we're gonna set up these communities, uh, the community leaders, and we're gonna talk to them, and they're gonna report back to us, and the, you know, the communities can talk to their community leaders, and then they're gonna tell us." And I was like, "Oh wow, yeah, Thatcher did that. That sounds really." really progressive and then do you want to pick it up from what happened after that well it goes horribly fucking wrong um, <laughs> as yeah. no one and you're right that it is amazing that thatcher does this stuff she's i think the reputation that we have of her is is the economics right you know it's the miners and, and stuff like that and that's where the you know the government you know the lady's not turning and blah 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 in lots of other areas actually the government was you turning all over the fucking place and and in some areas was was actually more sensible and stuff than, than people might imagine. And they they basically get presented with riots against the police um, from predominantly Asian and black uh, communities. 
And so they responded to this by saying, yeah, we need community leaders. But the people, nobody, even the most moderate sort of community leader doesn't trust the Tories. So it's always through Labour Council. So ultimately, it, it sort of becomes more of a Labour story than it is a Conservative one, but it's initiated by the Conservative government. Yeah. Um, and what's fascinating about this is, this is a form of identity politics. And it's the, has the same flaws that the kind of identity politics on the left that we were talking about earlier and that we still see now has, which is, when you pick a community leader, on what what exactly is the fucking mandate that this person has? Like, on what basis are they said to represent people around them? In this case, they became the transmission agent between local government funding and projects in the local area. So they were, unsurprisingly, religious leaders um, and local business. So what happened is you've got these extremely conservative reactionary figures, especially in the Muslim community, who just got to say, well, I'm now speaking for all Muslims. <laughs> even the word Muslim was extremely contested. Lots of the people didn't associate themselves with that word. But of course, even within that, you got what happens to, you know, the teenage lesbian, who these guys claim doesn't even exist. Like, on what basis is she represented by this person? And so very quickly, over the course of sort of the 1980s, you really got this whitewashing, this homogenization of the Asian community. You know, not talking about in any of the terms that they would use, but instead represented by these very reactionary elder men. And the mirror image of that is what you see by political leadership, predominantly in activist and academic circles on the left towards identity groups, where they'll claim, well, I represent, you know, black culture. And you sort of think, well, and what is your mandate? So you get this split on the left and the right. The moment that you give in on the idea of the individual and think in terms of identity blocks, you get the same thing, which is really a variation on what we've seen going all the way back to the French Revolution and, and Rousseau. People being able to say, I have a mystical form of, of identification with this unit of humanity. Um, mm. And on we go. I can summon their will. And of course, that's what you see with Donald Trump talking about the will of the people. That's what you see with Brexiters talking about the will of the people. It's many variations of the same process, which is ultimately the death of the individual and the growth of people who claim to be able to mystically channel a homogenous grouping of mankind. You see it with that shit, you see it over and over again, left and right, same process, hundreds of years apart, taking place again and again and again. Yeah, no, and it just really spoke to me. I didn't speak, I think it spoke to a part of me that was one, this is really, really new. And I thought you were gonna speak when you started talking about the Brixton riots I thought that it was going to be I, 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 I don't know I don't know what it was. and then it just really unfolded into this really fascinating chapter uh, of, of history that is completely gone under the carpet under my under radar for me mm. certainly yeah yeah me too um, the best person on this by the way is Kenan Malik who's currently he, he writes for the Observer a few other places he's, he's absolutely brilliant on this subject and I yeah. leaned heavily on his research on it, but he's been absolutely fantastic on it. So if it's a kind of area that your people listening are really interested in, he's the guy to go, look, you start picking up his books, start reading his articles, because he's absolutely fucking brilliant on it. And so he's been doing it for decades, you know, Kevin Malick. Okay, cool. Kevin Malick, right. Okay, we'll get all over that. Um, so yeah, uh, I guess chap the final chapter would be Trump uh, slash Brexit. Um, well, not the, the final chapter in this podcast. <laughs> not in your book uh don't want to freak don't want to freak you or the listeners out there um but 
the the Trump thing must have been fun to do slash scary. Uh, bearing in mind it's it's current, and say what you like about the levelers, that was fucking six hundred years ago or whatever. People aren't going to get too uppity, you know. Maybe, maybe the band, the levelers, you know. But but this Not is many this people is people are too passionate about them either, really. Although I quite like yeah. the levelers. I fucking love the levelers. They're a banging band. Um, but yeah. Um, it's it's one of those things that I wanted to because um, in a way it's sort of it, this this book you could say right well you know nationalism is on the rise and we've got to be you know bang up you know we've got to be bang up for the fight Trump now losing would have some people go hey man let's chill <laughs> what what would you say to those people <laughs> yeah well Jesus Christ I would have barely know where to start okay like the first thing is. And, and this is always a slight danger of Trump losing. People, uh, they put too much emphasis on the US, right? We always have this, pretty much whatever country you're from. We still have Bolsonaro. We still have what's going on in Israel that could. We still have what's happening in this country. We still have um, Orban in Hungary. We still have law and justice in Poland. I wish that that was the end of it, but it isn't. But more profoundly than that, this stuff didn't come from nowhere. You know, if we treat it as a superficial thing that we can just, oh, quick election and that's over, we haven't understood the roots of it and it will keep on happening to us. We have to show people that our way works. We have to show that your life can improve through liberal values, economically, as well as socially and politically. And the moment that we stopped demonstrating that, the moment that we said, basically by giving in to right-wing liberalism, to laissez-faire, just going, you know, we're not really in charge of that. You know, the winds of the winds of the economics will just do whatever they fucking do to you. Same on identity. Then very quickly, people will go to people that have illiberal answers to their problems on left and right. We have to demonstrate that there is a better way. And liberals did this. We did it after the war, and that process lasted until the late 70s. It was the greatest period of advancement on material, political, and social rights that we've had in the history of mankind. Like we can do this again, but to do it, we have to realize this danger has not just gone away. And there's a, you know, one of the advantages we had with Trump was he was a fucking moron. As you can see right now, you know, you look at those ones. Now, the next one might not be that incompetent. And if they have the same moral compass as him, but greater competence, then we're really in fucking trouble. Now, we deal with this now. This is not a fight that goes away with one person. This is an era we're in where really fundamental change is happening to our political system. Now, it's that, I mean, frankly, fucking sucks, right? I mean, it would be much nicer if we could just sit around on our asses and not have to worry about it. But that's the (laughs) era that we're in. That's what we're doing. And there is a form of privilege that comes with being in a position to affect that change at the moment that it matters most, you know, of being part of that liberal story of fighting for it, of actually risking yourself to fight for these values that liberated mankind over the over the ages. And that would not go away with just Trump going. That is something that we have to keep on doing. And right now, I think to be honest, right now, now that he's going and there's a danger that people will just start to luxuriate in that that actually this is when it matters most of remembering, no, this fight isn't even fucking anywhere near over and it will only succeed in so far as you fight for it. Wouldn't, would you say that there's uh, that go that there's a great deal of gloating going on as well on, on certain, I'd say from the left, I, I don't know what, I got in trouble saying that on Facebook, on my personal account, 
what I mm. meant was I, I don't think it's a great idea to be going hey Trump's gone in your face you twat or whatever and 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 that that can only really be coming from the left or the centre left I don't think there are any people on the far right saying that obviously so my 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 point is is at this stage would it not be best to just do a Biden and be gracious and just go hey man let's all let's uh let's get together and look you know try and fix this problem yeah and, and not just that but I mean you know look at the votes look at how many fucking votes he got you know but yeah. when but when Biden's going out there right now and going like I'm not just doing this for Democrats you know this has to be for Republicans and Democrats it has to be about bringing the country together that is the only moral response to the situation that you're presented with like in this country anyone you voted remain should remember how it felt to have four years of people in government basically saying fuck you you know you're not <laughs> the, the people capital t capital p you don't have any say you know in fact so much so that voting for leave was considered a litmus test of whether you were entitled to have any opinion on what was going on to your country at all now that is yeah. the complete opposite of the way that politics is supposed to work whether you're on the winning side or whether you're on the losing side it cannot be to ignore those who lost. It has to be that we find joint interest. So that, you know, when people look at the idea of the individual as this very selfish, atomized thing, it's exactly the opposite. So that we try to come up with a universal view of humanity where people pursue joint interests in a way that they are never individually um, disadvantaged without having had some control over the decision as it was made. Like that is pivotal to what is happening right now. And mm. you know, we we just can't get ourselves into a position where when we're winning we act the same way as we were treated when we were losing because that mm. is just spite and emotional blather and a, a cul-de-sac of moral thought like we cannot go down that avenue yeah and i i suppose just before we we call it a night i don't know how long you've you've got left um what have you we've been going one hour um Fuck me oh wow yeah mm. i know this is the quickest conversation i've ever had well, I'm, it's not, but it, it feels like <laughs> I had one with my gran the other day for literally two and a half fucking minutes. You know, she's had a stroke. She can barely speak. Um, bless her. Which is actually factually incorrect. She can speak and she, she, she's after two strokes, she's fine. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no. Um, I funnied my way out of uh, my train of thought then, if that was indeed actually funny, which I don't think it was. And got yourself um, in trouble with your grand if you ever heard it. Yeah, and my mum and my sisters. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> that was quite effective it, in a way for just 30 yeah. seconds of speech. Yeah. It's just with, with, um, with Brexit, which we actually haven't talked about really at all, um, which is quite an interesting one, considering that's kind of like our, <laughs> our, <laughs> our normal mm-hmm. point, point of magnetism. I just think... Um, also you're what really got me not giggling as such but kind of when you were writing about brexit it was like for you you must have that must have taken 20 minutes like you you know that must have been like and just press download just press the download button it's done that chapter's written i've been writing about it non-stop for four bloody years <laughs> that's you know? true, right it was it was quite a, you know what honestly that was a really weird section to write because it was the only point where I didn't have to do any research. I didn't have to call yeah. anyone. I didn't have to read anything. And I was just like, okay, I can just write this. But then that sort of ends up just freaking you out. And it's it's also, you know, of course, it's it's just a few pages of the book, right? So actually to take those four years and try to come up with a coherent narrative, which of course fits into the book's narrative of what happened there, 
is oddly quite difficult. So it was less labor, but it was it was quite a strange thing to write. And I was constantly sort of looking over my shoulder as I was doing it. It was it was quite a strange little section to 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 jot down, even though it was it was easier obviously than than the other bits. Was it also like I can't believe this happened? Uh, when you're writing it, you're halfway through the chapter going, how did this happen to British politics? What on earth? But I, I guess that's what you guys, you know, that's what you've been talking about. We've all been talking about for years. You know, how did this happen? How did we let it happen? And God, I don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, I, and I don't even know what we're all meant to think now, because when you, you were saying earlier you know the will of the people i had no i I, the other thing this book does really well is it it explains this phrase you know goes to town on the will of the people and where that comes from and 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 um it's it's legacy like i had when ian duncan smith says that on radio 4 we're all brexiters now it's the will of the people i i just thought he was being a twat a twat you know what i mean i didn't know that he was actually reaching way back into the into time and going this is what like dictators have been saying for years like oh really the will of the people is like this you know persecuting the individual it's it's, it's drumming that propaganda into your head i i didn't know that well i didn't and maybe he doesn't either i mean i don't know whether i'm being generous <laughs> or condemning him harshly right now but I, I just don't believe he understands any of that history but the phrase i thought i mean that's not me like i didn't go into this thinking i'm going to make the will of the people this central sort of idea that stretches it's just fucking there like each period you look at, it's fucking there. And it constantly has the same effect. It constantly works in the same intellectual way to bludgeon independent minds into submission, to just yeah. to just iron out the distinctions in humanity and in politics. It is this really, really pernicious phrase. Now, of course, there's context in which you can use it, which is not so bad. I mean, Mitt Romney used it. Uh, when speaking out against Trump last week, in a very specific context for an election thing, you, you get what someone's going at. It doesn't mean that every time someone says it, you have to be like, fascist! But generally speaking, on an intellectual level, when it's used that way to silence people, then mm. really it's very, very pernicious indeed, and it has been for hundreds of years. The history of that is a long, long and sordid history. Yeah. Um, okay, I've said this five times, but before we go, but look, yeah, before we go, um, there's a book that you might like. Cause you've probably already read it now. I'll get my Audible app up, and that I I thought you'd like yeah. if you haven't already read it. Um, oh, come on, Willie. Uh, it's by a guy called Philip Philip Sands. Oh yeah. Yeah, you must know. Um, I know him. Yeah. Yeah, he's and this book is so good. I'm gonna find it. I don't. This is imagine if we were live on radio. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is called East Yeah, East West Street. That's what it's called. Oh, okay, no, I haven't read that. Yes, it's about um uh the oh come on, well now this is going I'm going completely bonkers here. Um genocide and uh it's basically the 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 Nuremberg trials and and um the guy the guys who just basically decided what um persecution against uh crime against humanity and genocide and what that was and how they came to to um legally framing it so they could persecute persecute the nazis and it's, it's absolutely fucking fantastic because when you know again in this book just for the listeners you you, you go into uh, obviously you go into fascism not nazis uh, the, the nazis um in some depth depth as well and and, and it's 
again another part of history that's been written about a trillion times but you do it really well and it's and you you must have thought to yourself this has been done a thousand times but i need to do it you can't not talk about the nazis yeah no you can't well exactly and the thing is that that's the point of death you know that's the point where liberalism nearly dies and we see what the consequences are we see what happens when liberalism dies we see the people that are targeted it's never like the most powerful it's never the elite that's all a nonsense it's all a lie it's always ultimately the most marginalized the most dispossessed that are targeted and to have that and soviet communism speak to each other is important now there are lots of distinctions you know a lot of distinctions but at the heart of them there was that core idea the death of individualism the death of the unit of analysis and of moral insight being the individual and we see very very fucking clearly what happens it's also by the way really unpleasant to research that stuff i mean i know it sounds almost stereotypical yeah but you spend like a good few weeks reading about nazi germany and 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 soviet right and you just finishing it it was just, I honestly felt like I could breathe again. It was, it felt very like just the air was getting sucked out of the fucking room. I'd never mm. want to have to research that shit again. I don't want to talk about no. it too flippantly, but it's just, and there's, there's, a, there's a big, even though you're the billionth person coming to it, there is a moral responsibility in how you write about it. You know, that you mm. can't be, um, you, you cannot just get too florid. You really have to document, you have to say the things that happen simply and plainly. That there's a there is a moral responsibility there in the manner in which these things are written and that mm. can also become kind of an oppressive weight around the rest of it yeah i never again i, I never want to research that stuff ever again no i i mean honestly i i read plenty of plenty of anthony beaver and i i mm. i can't do it and i think max hastings is actually really good he does a he's got a, a really fantastic book it's quite old now on um, bomber command and that that was a, a way way ahead of its time because it, it pointed a lot of the fingers at the allies uh mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know and and, and yeah the, yeah that's fascinating the bombing oh my god just merciless cruelty and this barbarism um so look dude thank you so much for your time you're oh, so sweet I appreciate it, and and it is it is brilliant, man. I, I genuinely I was a, you know I was worried because you know what's what's you know I love this guy. What's his book going to be like? Is it going to be awkward? Because it's going to be shit, and it's fucking great. So <laughs> you, we're thankful for that. Yeah, yeah, rocking. I've really, and I very much enjoyed being interviewed by someone on the stairs. I, it has never <laughs> happened to me before. I, I think all interviews be with someone on the stairs. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's happening a lot lately. I did it. I did it. Had to, I had it. Had to do it topless during the heat wave we had in August and I, or <laughs> I'm July. So glad I fucking missed that. That's yeah, oh my God. publication that saved my. Was, so so weird. It was so weird. I did I did it with this guy, this rapper guy, <laughs> in in Detroit, and it was hilarious. But anyway, um, what so what are you up to? What are you up to now? Are you just uh, back on politics? Uh, is politics dot com or politics dot co dot uk? Yeah, I'm going to take a fucking holiday. You know, this is my first after the book's done. So we obviously cancelled our holiday because lockdown and general awfulness going on outside. So yeah. we're going to go to Whitby for two weeks. Sweet. Yeah, and nice. only. Because you can't, you just can't holiday in the same place you've been locked down. I mean, it's not like we can do anything there, here. Just I just can't be in this fucking house having a holiday because I'll just end up checking Twitter and the whole time will pass. So we're off to fucking Whitby. If anything's open, we'll go to it. If not, we'll just walk around and imagine that there's Dracula or whatever. Shit, I need it, man. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, you could you could pretend to be uh, uh, Mill and Taylor. It's going to be great. <laughs> 
exactly. Yeah, we will. role play the shit Cost out of that, man. Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Well, look, we have to we have to try and do a beer because I, I'm moving to Norfolk soon. It'd be great oh, to wow. ha- have a beer with you at some point. That'd be um, great. Yeah, and and we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, thank you, man. Great book. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Take care, buddy. Cheers, mate. Have a good night, mate. Yeah, you too. Bye.